All right, guys, uh, here with another episode. We got Steven Slate today. How's it going, man? What's up, guys? Round two. Round Attempt two. Unfortunately, we lost the last episode due to audio technical difficulties, and it was the fucking worst thing ever. But so it was, we had a good chat, though. I mean, still, yeah, no, good, a, good a, chat's a good, a good chat, chat, regardless of whether anyone else is going to hear it. The three of us had a good talk. Probably, yeah, no, two, probably the longest episode we've ever recorded, yeah. two hours of pure gold oh, and nice down the two. But uh, we're out here in L.A. We said, fuck it, let's do it again. So here we are. Here we are. It's good to see you guys again. Yeah, yeah. man. You know, awesome. you know what's funny? It's better doing it now because doing it like back to like I've had to do it before we lose like a part of one and we yeah. have to do it again right away. That's when it's really awkward. You have a bunch of new stuff to talk about too. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I always have. Hey, I can always yap. Cool. Do you want to start off by just talking about, you know, Slate Digital and Slate Audio and kind of yeah, sure. different so stuff? Slate Digital, we make a bunch of cool products for producers. Uh, a lot of plugins. Uh, our, our start kind of came in with the audio, I'm sorry, the analog model plugin. So all the classic studio gear, EQs and compressors and tape machines, consoles. So we model all that. Uh, we have a, a modeling microphone called Virtual Microphone System. It's a mic used by a lot of great artists. And it, again, it's a, a single microphone that models a bunch of famous microphones. So you get a lot of different tones from one product. Uh, and now we've branched into more modern producer products. We have this fantastic synthesizer called Anna 2. And uh, we have a bunch of new amazing tools by a company called Kilo Hearts in our bundle. And it's called the All Access Pass. So that's one side of my company. In my other company, we make a thing called the Raven, which is a touchscreen production console. And it's a multi-touch desk and it works with all the different DAWs, makes your world easier as you produce. And then uh, another product we make is called Trigger and Steven Slade Drums. It's drum software. Trigger is a drum replacer and SSD5 is a drum virtual instrument. Yeah. So when it comes to music business, Steve's pretty much fucking smoking it. Like when he's saying just raving, like that thing is not nothing to joke. That's in like Steve Aoki's studio. It's a big ass screen. Yeah. That thing must have been hard to make. And you want to tell the story again about how that all came together? The Raven uh, was an interesting story because uh, I was mixing on a big old analog desk. It was this mm -hmm. big thing called a Neotech Elite. And when Slate Digital came out with the virtual console collection, it sounds like analog consoles so like the reason for me mixing on the desk partly was because of the sound you know i wanted to sound like like when you put you know tracks through an analog console you get the sound of the console like there's certain consoles that people you know prefer to mix on because it has a vibe to it you know mm -hmm. it's a color to it so when we created this plugin called vcc it reproduced the color of the console inside the DAW, like you can mix and get the sound of the, of, of the console. So I no longer needed a console for the sound, but I did need it for the workflow. Cause you know, I'm just used to like reaching out, grabbing stuff. I want to EQ something, tweak something. It's just, I was used to just reaching out and grabbing it. So I needed to create something that would reproduce that, but for the modern DAW. And the answer was, was in my pocket. You know, it's like, you know, every day we had this little computer of course, it's like hard to get out of my pocket. You know, we have this little computer, this little touchscreen computer. This is how we interact with our digital world. And then I thought, well, that should be the same way for the studio. You know, if you're interacting hands-on with your digital studio, what better way than to reach out and touch it? So that's what we built Raven. And uh, yeah, it's, it's done really well. It's in a lot of pro studios now. He said Aoki's got it. We Snoop Dogg's got it. Hell, Dolly Parton's got it. A lot of major mixers like Mark Needham has one. And uh, it's been became the the top selling control service in the, in the game. That's that's crazy that you got the honestly like the balls to take on like even hardware big projects like that because that was that, early too, wasn't it? I wouldn't call it balls. I'd call it stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It was really stupid. I put all my money into that man. I mean, I mean, and I, and I put. I mean, it wasn't that stupid because you know what? I knew 
I knew it would work. I knew it was correct. Like I knew that people weren't going to keep on using half a million dollar analog consoles that weren't meant, weren't built and weren't made and designed to interact with a modern DAW, mm-hmm. you know, or DAW. Someone, someone hit me up the other day. He's like, dude, it's not DAW, it's DAW. It's, I feel <laughs> so, like it's either. Who cares? Yeah, it's, it's either one. Like, <laughs> is this really a thing now? Is it going to be the DAW versus DAW? Or? So anyway, it's like, you know, I, I knew that wasn't the case. I knew that it just didn't make sense. And I knew that this made sense. Like here, we just spent, you know, 20 years putting the whole entire studio onto a computer screen. It just made sense to touch it. And so, yeah, I sunk a lot of money into it, probably more than I should have. And, and, you know, it took a little bit to get into the green, but when it happened, it happened and it caught on real fast. And I mean, hell, they're on sale right now. We just got three major orders from some of our biggest dealers to, to re-up. Yeah. So we're, we're happy with them. No. Uh, you want to talk about like your backstory of how you even got started in LA and how you got out here and started networking and stuff? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think if, we, if, you, if you really rewind it, it comes down to uh, to Abby Stoller. You know who Abby Stoller is? <laughs> I slightly remember. I slightly remember. <laughs> From round one. From round one. Do you guys remember who Abby Stoller yes, is? Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure you guys all at home know Abby Stoller. She was the prettiest girl in my fifth grade class. And, uh, and I noticed that she would always have these folders covered in vanilla ice stickers. And she was obsessed with like vanilla ice. That's just how old I am. All right. Vanilla ice was cool back when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> And uh, I was like, okay, so if I got to like get her attention, I got to like be in, do, you know, a rock star. I got to be into music. So I asked my mom if I can get guitar lessons and that started my, my world into music. So I started out as, as a musician. I just wanted to play music and, you know, and finally I realized, screw Abby Stotler. I just actually like to play. And then after a while, I started writing songs with some friends and started a little band. And, and then eventually I was like, all right, I got to record these crappy little songs. What do I do now? And then I saved up and bought a cassette four track. So we're talking like 1993, 94. Bought a cassette four track, which you record four tracks onto a little cassette tape. Mm-hmm. And I started getting into recording and realizing that this was something that I was super passionate about. You know, um, and, and I just, just got really into it. And then I remember uh, in high school, I told my parents that I made the baseball team. I didn't actually make the baseball team, but it gave me a few hours after school to do whatever I wanted. So I'd take the train from New Jersey, where I grew up, to Manhattan, and I'd start interning at all the recording studios over there. And I just became obsessed with it. You know, I just loved the the art and the process of making music, of making art. It became just just an obsession of mine. Uh, then I went to Boston, where I went to school, started my own little uh, recording studio there with whatever money I can gather. Uh, still worked at a lot of other commercial studios. Came out to L.A. in 2005. And now the goal when I got to L.A. was that I wanted to become the apprentice of a major producer or mixer. All right, that was the goal. P- pretty, pretty standard, right? Like, I'm going to come here. I'll be an apprentice to a major producer or mixer. And uh, then I myself will rise up the ranks and I'll become a big producer or mixer myself. I thought that was a good idea. The problem is that I didn't understand that there was about 5,000 other people with that same damn idea. So then you, you're left with the question, how do I differentiate myself? Because that's what you need to do. You know, you need to differentiate yourself if you're going to make an impact. Uh, so the way I decided to do that was similar to a path that you guys do. I was making samples. So I came from Boston with a whole CDR or DVDR of, of drum samples. 
And I said, you know, what I'm going to do instead of just going out there and trying to say, hey, I'll be your Pro Tools engineer, I'll be your, you know, DAW or DAW engineer, uh, I'll hand out some drum samples. So I snuck into a bunch of Grammy parties. And I really mean I snuck in. I would, you know, reverse read names on, on, on guest lists. And I'd go into these. That works. It does work. <laughs> but, but, but the one thing you got to watch out for, because sometimes you got to do it real quick, you know, because one time I remember going there, I was like, okay, read that name. Uh, who are you, sir? I am Sally with, oh, fuck. <laughs> not, 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 not Sally. You know, so, uh, yeah, so I'd sneak into these parties and I have like a little satchel of these drum sample CDs and I'd hand them out to big, big people, like big guys making big records at the time. And that was my strategy. And all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later after one of these parties, I got a call and it's Mike Shipley, who was one of the biggest mixers in the game. The guy I'd worked with, uh, Maroon 5 and uh, um, who else did he do? ACDC, Def Leppard, just Shania Twain, just like big, big bands. And he calls me up and I'm like, this is it. This is my break. He's about to tell me that he wants, you know, that he got my drum sample CD. I must be a motivated little chap and, and uh, he's going to want me to be his apprentice. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He said, hey, man, I'm doing the new Santana record. Uh, can you get me some more drum samples? I was like, what? More drum samples? I'm like, okay, sure. So next <laughs> thing you know, I'm making drum samples for the new Santana record. And then I get another call from another big producer. He's like, yeah, I heard you're making samples for Shipley. I got this about the record. I need a kick that sounds like this. It has a lot of more attack. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. So next thing you know, I'm just making samples for all the top dudes in Hollywood who are making records. And that's kind of how I got my start making products for the music business. And then it kind of just after that, I was like, all right, I kind of dig this. This is kind of cool. I don't necessarily need to be, you know, uh, an apprentice or even a producer. I just want to just make stuff that people make art with. And everything blossomed out of that. So there, there's the story. Yeah, that's crazy. It's so it goes crazy how it's not like one for one, but very similar to kind of how me and Drew got started, you know, doing music industry stuff. And then randomly this IMAX thing just popped. And I was like, oh, this is what people want. You know? yeah, was, and you enjoy it. I mean, it, it not yeah. only pops, it pops. Because as it's popping, you're like, okay, I like this. It comes a game, yeah. you know, like a fun thing to like, you know, try mm -hmm. to keep outdoing ourselves with more and more products and add cool shit to it. So, no, definitely super interesting. Well, you guys are killing it. I love what you guys are doing. I oh, appreciate it, man. Dude, yeah. the event last night was crazy. I, I loved it, man. I can't believe we uh, we had that many people. I was there. dead. I was dead at that event last yeah. night. Like, yeah, when you came, <laughs> I was like, you gotta you gotta stay behind the the DJ booth a little bit, a little bit more. Did you, know? you get interviewed by that guy? I did get interviewed by that guy. Dude, that guy, did he give you a wonky interview? It was a great interview. He, he came up to me and he said, is it okay to not have bangers? To which I replied, yeah, sometimes part of the game is, is, is building yourself up till you get to those bangers and working hard to figure out what makes those bangers. And his response was like, nope, that's incorrect. They should all be bangers. <laughs> this guy was like a nardwar, like a weird, like a he, crazy interview guy. And it was just hilarious because he, he interviews me. And then, you know, he's going around like finding people to interview. I'm like, dude, you know, you know, Steven Slate's here. He's like, what? Oh, that's. So and I was like, fun. yeah, I was like, go hunt him down. And he came over there. But dude, he, the first thing he like tells me is like, hey man, uh, he's like, so you've been interviewed at an event? I'm like, no, I never have. And he's like, all right, I'm glad we can uh, take your virginity. He's like, how does it feel to lose your virginity? And he stuck on that topic for a minute. <laughs> Just like trying to like, you know, I mean, that was kind of his thing, obviously. I got to say it was one of the more interesting interviews I'd done. No one ever had. Just, you know, correcting me that every song should be a banger. I don't know. I thought he was goofy and funny, and I liked his shtick. It was good. Yeah. He was enjoying was. himself, and I was enjoying that. Yeah. I mean, the L.A. turned out so crazy that we were just like, we're just going to keep coming back to L.A. And keep you should. Yeah. Shit here, yeah, man. We're There's just trying to find somewhere more in the city. And plus the industry people, it's so much easier to, like, 
do double networking, not only with our fans, but then yeah. invite out. You know, I was telling you. these guys that I, I, I wanted to bring a special guest who unfortunately couldn't make, but next time you guys are here, I'll definitely bring a really good special guest. You want to talk about um, the lowest or more most uh, heartbreaking moment of your career that you're just like, fuck, I can't believe this well, I mean, is we, we would have to do like five hours on that. There's, <laughs> there's just so many of them. I mean, and, and uh, I mean, I'll tell you a specific one. I mean, I think this one we spoke about last time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll talk about that one specifically because it was so early on in my career. So again, I was doing these drum samples, these drum sample CDs, and we were peddling like, oh, so eventually the, the, the next stage, by the way, after I was making these drum samples for these Hollywood guys, I said, hey, let me create a website and sell these to whoever wants to buy them. And it was a good marketing campaign. It was like, hey, here's the drum samples that are on every single hit record. So I, that was my business, Steven Slade Drums. That was the first part of my business. So I start selling these things and we were selling maybe 150 to 200 a week which was good because I was making money from something <laughs> musical. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love that. I was like, wow, this is incredible. But then we talked to this major U.S. retailer and they started having, you know, their guys talk about it. Like, hey, there's this really great drum sample. Studio. They're like, hey, we want to make an order of these things. And I go, cool. I'm thinking, all right, how many hundred do you want? They're like, no, we want like four or 5,000. I go, what? Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it as like a holiday giveaway, like a pr- promotion add-on to another product we're selling. I'm like, Okay, but can you get it? But you have to get it in time for the holiday sale. So you have to, they give me a date that I'd have to have it delivered to their warehouse by. I'm like, holy crap, I only have a five CD duplicator, DVD duplicator. I would have to actually get this thing pressed and I'd have to start now and get this thing moving in order to, to meet the deadline. So I send it out to this professional DVD duplication company. It comes back and it comes back 48 hours before the last time I can actually overnight it to get it to the retailer. So, I mean, it gets there right in time and I'm right. I'm about to actually package it up and send it to this, you know, retailer. And I was like, let me test a few of these just to make sure all is good. And I throw one in and it's corrupt. I throw a second one in and it's corrupt. I'm like, all right, maybe just the first two are corrupt. The third one I'm sure is gonna be fine. As you know, the, the whole damn run was corrupt. Something happened with the master glass disc and they were all corrupt. And I'm like, wow, this is my big break. I mean, this is really what was going to make or break my brand. I mean, this is a huge retailer. We'd be in all their catalogs, all their holiday promotions, all their holiday emails. And I was just staring defeat right in the face and smelling its fucking defeaty breath, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I said to myself, I can't let this happen. I got to figure out a way. So I'm thinking to myself, I have 48 hours to make this work. And uh, I started calling all these duplication companies going, hey, you know, can we, can we get 5,000 discs printed in the next 48 hours? They're all like, no, no, no way. That's it's impossible. It's impossible. And then there was one on Sunset Boulevard. There's a duplication company on Sunset Boulevard. And I drove down there. And I'm like, because I just figured in person, maybe I can plead, plead my case a bit better. And I drove down there and I remember looking at the guy and I go, listen, man, I, I need to make 5,000 discs. Can we do it? He goes, listen, man, it's impossible. I have, you know, there's 10 people ahead of you. This would normally take a week and a half, two weeks to turn around. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, listen, if the world was about to end, unless you were able to do this, like, could it be done? Like, how can this possibly be done? Like, if, if, if life itself depended, if life itself depended on me getting these damn discs done, <laughs> can we do this? And he looked at me almost sarcastically and he says, yeah, if you uh, want to run the machines all throughout the night shift yourself, and I go, Perfect. What time can I be here? And he goes, are you serious? He's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm hell yeah. I'll come here. I'll run the machines myself overnight. 
So me and my sister at the time was a two man company. We got a case of beer. We got there at about uh, eight o'clock right after they closed. He showed us just basically how to work the machines. We just had to restock the spindle, make sure the printers were working. And uh, we stayed that entire night. We, we, we got there at eight. We went through 5,000 discs. We printed them and, and duplicated them. And I think until about seven or 8 a.m. the next day, we got every single one done, packaged, boxed up in a big, bigger box. And the next day we sent it out to the big retailer and we met the deadline. Damn. And that started a great partnership with that retailer, who, by the way, was one of the retailers who just put a huge order in for our microphones and our Ravens today. And I don't know how how that would have went down if we didn't, if we started off our relationship that, you know, on such a bad note. Do you Mm -hmm. think you would maybe be in like a much different place, like Slate Digital and Slate Audio right now? I mean, we certainly could be. Maybe we could have made up for it. Maybe I could have hustled and proved them that, you know, I could have made up for it. But I'll tell you this. I I mean, maybe I would have. I certainly would have tried. But, you know, I I think the point of that story is just like, you know, you're, you're really don't give up. What's the point? Like fucking hustle. I see a lot of people like, you know, just, you know, as soon as they see the first raindrop, they're like, oh, it's about the thunderstorm. Might as well go inside. Really? Yeah. Really though? You know, if, if you look at all the people who are successful and I, I'm lucky to surround myself by a lot of successful people, you know, they, they don't, they don't pack it in when they see that first raindrop. You know, they don't sit there in their sorrows. You know, they, they hustle. And that's what you got to be, not only in this industry, but in life, man. You just got to hustle. And, and everything, you know, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be obstacles. But, you know, it's such a greater reward when, when you know you have that, that tragic moment and you overcome it, you overcome that obstacle, and you end up winning in the end. And I've done that with a lot of products, I got to say. I mean, when we first came out with the microphone product, we, we hyped it up for a little bit. And everyone said, this is bullshit. I was made fun of. I was belittled. I had all these pros, these snobby pros like, oh, with their big mic collections, you know, they're saying like, this is bullshit. Like, stop fucking around here. You're like, we don't even want to hear about this. This is a bullshit product. I was like, no, no. I was like, I know this is real. Like I've sit there. I sat there with my own ears and did an AB against this $20,000 251 telephone mic. It sounds exactly the same. The technology works. This product works. And it makes sense because not everyone can afford $100,000 for the mics. It makes sense. And I just pushed forward with it and I got the right people to get behind it at the right time. And, and, and like, again, now it's on sale and, and we just got re-upped on a whole bunch of orders. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing really that great comes without a little bit of a fight. Sometimes a big fight. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, how important do you think it is to work for free? Because some people are just so fucking prideful about it, man. I worked for free for a lot, man. I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, I, I didn't work, but see, I didn't consider it working for free, though. You know, because I was learning so much. I mean, the payment yeah. that I got mm-hmm. was this incredible knowledge, you know? When I'm, when I'm sitting there breaking down a session between two, you know, platinum selling bands in, in, in a big studio in New York when I was 17 years old, and understanding what it took to, 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 to do that or understand or watching this producer talk to this singer who's like having problems in the booth and just watching that dynamic and the people skills that would require and the psychology that required, that's, that's I'm paying for education. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, sometimes I was like, I should be, I'm working for free, but I should be paying these people because I'm learning so damn much. Uh, that said, I mean, I mean, nowadays you got crazy labor laws and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how it works depending on the state. So I don't recommend, you know, <laughs> doing, you can, doing, you can doing intern. Some, you can yeah. definitely intern places. Yeah. I think this California labor. labor oh yeah. Labor yeah. Laws. Maybe in Cali it's, it's probably different now, but yeah, you can definitely. But the point is this, I mean, if you're trying to learn and trying to, to elevate yourself in a certain industry or craft, it should not start off about money. I get it. You have to have a living. You have to figure out something, 
And again, that's part of the hustle. Maybe you're working, you know, during the day as an intern for free or, or for minimum wage. And then you're hustling after that at a, at a nighttime gig, you know, but, but, you know, don't expect if you to, to, to just start off and get, get paid a million dollars. I mean, you're part of the, the, the initial part of the hustle is you got to learn your craft. You got to learn from people who are better than you, you know, absorb their knowledge. And that, that might come at a cost. Sometimes that cost is getting another job that gives you money to pay your bills. How do you go out to like a studio and get like an internship or get that opportunity to get your foot in the door? Well, a lot of these studios, you know, they'll, they'll have job applications when they need people. You know, I know a good friend who has a very big studio. One of his head engineers left so that the second engineer got in that role and they were hiring some junior engineers. And, you know, they, they, they put the job in the different job boards. And if you know what the hell you're doing, you know, some, 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 someone came into that job and was like a hustler on Pro Tools, which is what they use mostly. And also, you know, presented a few different ideas about how to, you know, get their networking a little better. And, they, and I think they hired that guy. And it's just, you know, it's just, you got to differentiate yourself and, and prove your value. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you get hired. People hire you because they, okay, that person's going to be valuable for us for me you know so your job is in a job you know interview is to prove your value Mm -hmm. for sure is is there any like uh so i mean you're talking about grit earlier which i think is a super fucking important thing like just being able to withstand that over the long period of time no matter what kind of shit happens um so a lot of our audience probably gets shitted on by their family friends about doing stuff in the music industry because everybody almost relates it back to like I had a friend who tried that, like they're fucking broke or something like yep. that, you know, kind of has this bad, like, like, what do you, what would you recommend to people trying to come up with the music industry and then dealing with that hate towards like what they're trying to do for their passion? So the funny story about that is that my parents are very, very supportive of me and they don't won't like to admit this, but before I did pretty well with the, the audio companies, they were not very supportive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rightfully so, because I wasn't making money and here's their adult son and he wasn't making money. I get it. I mean, put yourself in your parents' shoes. Your parents want you to go into a field that's safe. Parents like safety, you know, and they want to see that you're making an income. And some industries like music production, it's not so safe. Um, Having said that, if you're passionate about it and that makes you happy as a human being, you have to do it. You know, you have to do it. And, and then the, the, the solution then is figuring out how you can incorporate this passion into your life and still have a life. Again, you know, it's not going to immediately start paying bills. You're not going to, you know, unless you immediately get this, this, you know, instant hit, you're going to have to have something to pay the bills and you might have to work that into your life. Uh, and that's what's going to help with the parent situation. Your parents will feel safe. They're like, okay, he's exploring this passion, but he's also being reasonable and paying his rent by, you know, hustling at night and has another night job or he's going to school. So he's doing this other skills that he or she will have. So I think that uh, you just have to be logical and reasonable about it, you know, but if this is your passion, you got to do it. And, and, but, but the other thing too, is this, if it truly is your passion and here's the biggest secret about what I do, it's not about the money. I mean, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I just could afford a steak or two a week, some beer and, and, and some rent, I'd be happy because I love what I do, man. I love it. I love it. And, and you, you know, people should produce music and make art, not for the money. It's got to be because they love it. So in some cases, it could just be, hey, that you've got a gig that's, you know, a nine to five gig. It's paying you money. You go home, you know, crack open a brew, go to your little man cave or your studios and make some music. And that could be your the part of yourself that just helps you live because it's your art, your passion. Sometimes there's a beauty about keeping stuff in the passion category versus turning it to a job. I, think, I agree. I think there's a lot of stuff like that, that I personally will keep things like, even though yeah. I could go harder and like, you could make a living, but sometimes yeah. you don't want that. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean that for for me that is you know uh, a being a professional basketball player. <laughs> you know, like I like I I could be in the NBA, but I'm just I'm lacking two things: time and basketball skills. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had those two things, yeah, I wouldn't be here. I'd be fucking shooting hoops professionally or ping pong. So right? I have a question. Uh, yeah. So how do you recommend somebody that is just starting out set up like a business plan like what would you recommend somebody going into it do well you said the magic word which is plan mm -hmm. you know you guys are two of the most organized guys i know you guys have plans you're so structured you research i mean you obviously you met with one of the best marketers in the world and absorbed his his knowledge and i think it really comes down to do being a proper plan. A lot, a lot of people in the industry have said, oh, you know, Slay, you take these big risks like the Raven and you made this virtual microphone thing and this. And to be honest, none of these are really risks. They're very calculated risks. But the calculated part is the important part because I really think these things through and I say, okay, where's the market? Who's the purchaser? Why do they need this? Why, why, why? I keep asking why. Like, what is the user profile? What is this going to do for them? What is the benefit it's going to have? So I plan these things out and then I make a calculated, you know, uh, logical uh, result to that. And I go, all right, yeah, I think this is going to work. This is worth me putting my money in. And, um, and I think that anyone starting out really needs to plan this out. Like, like going off the cuff is, it sounds cool in, 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 in speakers on social media. Oh yeah, I'm trying this. I'm a risk taker. No, no. You know, what's, what's even sexier is when you, you plan shit out, you have it all mapped out and you do it and it works and you have that better result because you know what the hell you're doing. I think that that's just always been my motto. I like to have a structure and I know what I know what to expect. Along the line, you can take little mini risks here and there, but it's all going towards this this end game result where you know that this is going to make sense. Yeah, me and Drew shift a lot on like the day-to-day, -day, you know, yeah. the random shit. Yeah, we're moving quick, we're changing left and right pivoting, but like long term we're usually still striving towards like the spot that we talked about. I mean, even long time ago, I got little goals we're writing when we first started at Max, and we've like sure. almost, almost like down to a T. Like some of them, like doing this, it's like done. Sure, done, but you know? I mean, you know, with you guys, you have the way you guys market your free packs to your sample packs to your events. I mean, all this is part. I mean, you didn't just sit there one day and go, "Hey, uh, let's do an event tomorrow in Los Angeles." Hey, let's, uh, you know, uh, podcast like, like this is part of your brand, you know, okay, we want to strengthen our brand. What are things we can do? You know, obviously build up audience with the free stuff, build up audience with contest, build up, you know, fans with the meetups and, and, and build a brand that way, you know, do the podcast to get more people involved. I mean, all these things, you know, I, I, I refuse to believe that you just decided these one day, like this is part of the overall brand you guys are building and clearly you do an amazing job. Yeah, because this is not just a bunch of bullshit you threw together in a basket. Yeah, yeah it's, appreciate it's all that, about man. having. Yeah, I appreciate that too. Uh, it's all about having the North Star, that thing that you're striving for. Even if it's like we change our complete, we might not ever sell a sample pack again starting tomorrow. But like, yeah. what's the North Star? Spilling the brand huge. Uh, it's not about the having yeah. having the goodwill in the air, so one day we can turn it into whatever we community. want. Community, yeah. right? I mean, we're gonna me and Drew we throw a fucking EDC me, if we want yeah. to one day. Me and Drew are literally could. gonna launch like a Stephen and Drew Pokemon card. People still buy <laughs> do it. <laughs> you know, what let, I'm me, saying? let me get in on that. You want a Pokemon card? I want in on that. A hundred Stephen slates. We call Slatymon. You know, but like, dude, when people like you, you know, they'll buy all the products. Like, I'm sure the slate, you know, the the slate digital and slate audio fans, like, you come out with something new. The people who are diehards are gonna get whatever they don't yeah care. i mean it, it, if you build a great brand people like to support that brand they they believe in that brand i mean you know i don't love all of my apple products but i buy them all because i fucking love apple Dude, i, and I love too. what they stand for yeah um something that's kind of interesting that i've noticed with you and actually a lot of our guests is like this common theme of like band experience 
Like, what do you think it is about that band experience that translates producer? You think it's like the process of like practicing the recordings and stuff early on? I think it's all of that, man. It's just being a musician. I mean, as if you're in a band, you're kind of in a marriage with, you know, two, three, four other people. Mm-hmm. You have that, that, that psychology play with other people when you have an idea and sometimes like, Hey, I want it. You got to make it seem like it's their idea so that then they accept your idea. I mean, that's really what it's about. <laughs> that's a real, that's definitely I mean, a real talk thing. to anyone in a band and everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, there's a lot of uh, people skills that you learn being in a band. And then of course there's the music aspect because if my bands would be in the studio, I'd have to record us. I'd have to figure all that shit out. You know, my first band, I remember we recorded on my cassette four track and back with the cassette four track, you recorded the first three tracks and you got to bounce them all to the fourth track and then start over and you got to keep doing that. It just fucking sounds like mush, but I had fun doing it and I knew that this was something I wanted to explore more. That's crazy. You said that thing about make the other person think that they thought of it. There's There's been times where me and Drew, let's say we're working with an influence or something, sometimes we'll plan out the thing and sometimes I'll talk to them and I'll make it seem like they thought they thought of it. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like a, good. That's like a good. crazy <laughs> high-level persuasion tactic. People yeah. listening are probably like, what the fuck are you well, talking when, when about? But, in, a, in a creative environment, it's really important because you know creative minds usually do this. It's very uh, unlikely, you know, it's very uncommon that you see like creative minds be like, yeah. Like even the ones that you think are like these great creative minds, the Lennon McCartney's, that you find, if you, you know, the Jagger Richards, you dig more in and it's like, oh no, these, are, these guys are heated. Like this was a oh, heated, yeah, sure. you know, uh, dichotomy and, and, you know, so that you have to learn how to overcome that. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you play, you know, you, 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 you're playing creative and psychologist at the same time. And it's, I think being in bands really helps it's that. I was, I was in bands for years and it definitely helps. Um, do you want to go into like some of your plugins and talking about them a little bit? Um, maybe sure. we could just start with like, what's your favorite compressor that you guys put out? Um, my favorite compressor, I would say is this thing called the FG stress. And it's my favorite because it's based, well, it's actually a recreation of the, of the hardware called the Distressor. And the Distressor was a piece that came out in the 90s. And when I was starting in the studios, there was no rack without a Distressor. Nothing. There was no rack. And why did this new piece of gear become so popular? Because it was a compressor that was designed to model other pieces of compressor. Other, other compressors, other famous compressors. So it's like, you know, we have these plugins that model, you know, real gear. Well, this was a hardware piece that modeled other hardware pieces. And what that means is it's versatile. So there's like one setting you use that was amazing on bass and one setting they called the nuke setting. It's called nuke. You put that on drums and all of a sudden your freaking drums sounded like Zeus was playing them. And it's like, it just did so much. And I can honestly, it's, it's my desert island compressor because it has so many different personalities. And uh, we make a, a, a plug and recreation of it called FG Stress that we, uh, we, we license it right from the uh, uh, distressor company, ELA. That's um, awesome, man. Empirical Labs, rather. And uh, yeah, and um, I love that thing. It's just, it's badass and everything. I'll put it on a vocal. I'll put it on some a beat. I'll put it on some drums. Synths, make them just wake up. I mean, it's, it's great. You want to explain the uh, mic modeling stuff? We talked about it a little bit, but that's just so awesome, man. Cool, man. Thank you. Uh, again, growing up in studios, I would constantly see about five or six microphones that all these studios had to have in their mic lockers. It was the U47, Neumann U47, the AKG C12, the Telefunken 251, the Neumann M49, and the Neumann U67. Oh, and the Sony C800G. Every studio would have these microphones. Now, some of these microphones, like the 251, it's a 50, 60 year old mic, and that's what's still the microphone they were using. So the question is why, like, why, and and like, are these, you know, like when we have this modern technology, why are all these major studios on their big artists using these microphones that are like 50, 60 years old? And it's because the character and tone of these classic mics is still unrivaled. 
Like there's a vibe and a tone to a, an AKG C12 or a Neumann U47 that you just can't get. It's just this tone. And you, when you hear someone sing through it or play through it, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar because you've heard it on so many classic records. But there was a problem with these microphones. You know, I'd work in these studios and they'd have all these microphones and these commercial studios had these, these big bank accounts to, 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 to buy all this. And of course, the problem was I couldn't afford it. So I'll give you an example. The last time I tried to, you know, price out a, a, a Telefunken 251 is $25,000 for one microphone. 25 grand. It's insane, right? Good, because I thought so too. So I was like, what could I do to like get that sound in the modern era? And at the time, we were already doing lots of analog modeling in code. So I started to kind of debunk what analog sound is. And it really comes down to the uh, acronym DNA, Dynamic Nonlinear Artifacts which means as you run signal through an analog piece of gear, you get dynamic nonlinear artifacts. Like you get little bits of noise and phase distortion and harmonic distortion and all these things add vibe and color. So like when you hear something that's like, oh, that's got like a certain vibe to it, it's probably because of the dynamic nonlinear artifacts. That's like the little bits of noise distortion and, right. and phase distortion mm -hmm. that create tone that's just beyond just the regular neutral network. And you got to code that in. You got to code that in. So once we figured out how to code that, I started listening to these big, expensive microphones. I'm like, you know what? It's the same damn thing. They're, the, 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 the color and the vibe that these things have is because their frequency response. It's because, you know, their harmonic response, how they, they're all tube mics, so how the tube responds and how it colors the tone. So I started working with my, my partner, Fabrice, Fabrice Gabriel, who I co-owned Slate Digital with. And we started creating basic, you know, models of what we were hearing. But the only thing that was missing was we needed a standard reference for every one of the models to be applied to. So we had to create a hardware mic that was like really flat and linear that had, you know, that was really, really clean. So that once we added these models to them, it would have the tone of these microphones. That's what we did. And, uh, and it worked. I mean, we've shot out against the real mics. I mean, we, we had a mic shootout against the actual U47 in front of thousands of people last NAMM show. And, you know, no one could hear the difference. That's Damn. crazy, man. Uh, you want to tell the names of those and then maybe your favorite one from each different one, like the Blackbird and all the Yeah, so, so what's interesting is this. If you look at the virtual microphone system, we have like three packs for it. There's the pack that comes with it and the two other packs. And you'll constantly see the same microphone in, in, the, in the pack. Like there's a, a stock 251 that, that comes with the mic. Then if you buy the Blackbird expansion pack, which are uh, a bunch of microphones we model from Blackbird Studios, there's also a 251. And if you don't know much about vintage mics, you'll be like, what the fuck? Why would I pay... For another 251 when there's already a 251 in the, in the main pack. And the answer, again, goes that these are 60-year microphones. And the way they age is very unique. So even though they, they both have the, the 251 sound, they sound different. They each have, like, they're like, like fingerprints, man, like snowflakes. And, uh, like, the two snowflakes, yeah, these are from the same cloud, but they're, but they're each kind of unique. And that's how it is. So uh, uh, having answering your question, I think the Blackbird 251 is probably one of my favorites. The Sony C800G model in the, in the stock pack, the M version, that's another one of yeah, my favorites. Yeah, that's the one Reed recommended. He yeah. uses it on every single one of his mixes. I mean, the cool thing about that, mic is it's like, first of all, it's so freaking clear and clean and airy. And it has just enough warmth in the low end because the tube model kind of just mm -hmm. gives you a fatness. It's amazing on vocals. That sounds so good. Uh, that's a good one. The 251 is really great. And if you want something more like, you know, mid-ranging, a little less top-endy, like just something that's got more vibe and guts to it, the U47s. And again, I think my favorite is the Blackbird. Blackbird 47 is just so damn good. Awesome, man. So that's an expansion pack for it. All right, let's do one more question like that. Uh, what about favorite EQ y'all have? 
So again, we have a lot of cool vibey analog EQs. And I always, I got, I, I try to recommend a lot more modern producers get into these things because, you know, you, you got a lot of these clean EQs and they're great, you know, like the clean digital EQs. But sometimes the cool thing about using some of the analog model EQs is without any effort, it just gives vibe. Because mm -hmm. yes, you're EQing. So like, for instance, we have this thing called the FGN. It's a, inspired by the Neve 1073 EQ. And we have the API style EQ called the FGA. And yeah, you, you go to these EQs, you do the same thing you would with any EQ, add top, add mid, add low mid, lows, take away lows, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you get free vibe. So like, for instance, I'll put a mix just through my FGA EQ and I'll bump just a little bit of the 50 knob, just the 50 hertz for some sub lows. And not only am I getting that extra sub low, but I'm just getting this overall kind of saturated vibe to the whole mix. And that comes free. And, and that's why I just really love the analog stuff because it gives you this, this little bit of color, this little bit of depth that you just sometimes don't get with the, just the pure digital stuff. Do you think the newer producers, like more of the veteran producers, should should maybe get more into some of this older I, school stuff? I do, stuff? because all their, all their idols use it. Like, for instance, uh, you know, Mike Dean, one of the guys who's mixed Travis Scott and, and, and all these, you know, Kanye and mixed all this modern stuff. You know what he's using? He, he's using all that stuff. He's, he's abusing it. He's taking our plugins and overloading them just to get more of that harmonic mm -hmm. gunk. And that's why everything just starts to sit so fat and it just has so much vibe. I mean, you really hear, you bypass, you're like, whoa, what the hell just happened? Like, where'd all the, the vibe just go? So, I mean, you know, a, a lot of these guys are listening to the, these pro mixes that use this kind of stuff. They're trying to replicate it. And if they want to really replicate it, you know, I would say experiment with it. I mean, there's a lot of great software tools out there. We make some cool stuff. Our competitors make a lot of cool stuff. But I would just say try stuff, man. And don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the knobs. Don't fear the knobs. You know, um, if you want to get like that or the modern uh, Travis Scott, like or future um, reverb, what would you go to? For go that? to uh, go to the one that he used on that record, which is our Verb Suite Classics. Uh, you know, you know uh, Mike really loves our Verb Suite Classic plugin, and it's got basically ten reverb boxes, the best of the best 10, 10 reverb boxes built in, and all the presets from them. So what I can do is this. How about I find out from Mike exactly what he used on the Travis Scott? <laughs> that would you know? be awesome. Yeah. How about this? Let me text it. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a question. Yeah. Have, you, have you had a moment yet where, I mean, I'm sure you have, but have you had a moment where like you're looking at this and you're like, holy crap, I can't believe our stuff's used. Like, is there a crazy moment where, or was there a moment when you first started hitting some big things and you were like, I can't believe that it popped up on this record or this, this producer is using the plugins. Like, cause it seems kind of surreal. Initially it happened you know? so quick. Like one of the first major records we got on was Santana. I mean, you know, like pretty legendary, you know, rock yeah. star guitarist. I mean, kind of synonymous with guitar synonymous with Paul Reed Smith. And that was pretty big, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of those moments, man. Cause I'm such a music fan. You know, when I found out that Paul McCartney was in a session and they were using one of our plugins on that, that was kind of cool. That's you really know, awesome, man. Like Paul was kind of cool. I'm asking Mike here, what are you, what uh, reverb? Yeah, we're trying to get a response by the. Yeah. By Let's the try what yeah, reverb in <laughs> verb suite. I have a good question. Yeah, you can ask that. Did you use on Travis Scott? Let's see if I can answer. That would be awesome. Um, so, how have you seen the music industry uh, change in the last ten years or so? Well, it's, well first of all, it's been taken over by us man mm -hmm. you know that's the coolest thing it's being taken over it's not like about you know major labels driving the, the message it's a guy who buys a beat for 30 dollars off beatport 
and makes a song and that song blows the fuck up. Was it, was it on YouTube or, or, or some show or something like that? You know, uh, uh, um, you know what I'm talking about? What's Old the, Town Road? Old Town, Old Town oh, Road. Oh, Beat yeah. Stars? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, so what's the story with that? You got it on Beat Stars, and how do you, how do you first blow it up? I can't remember, but it's something... Oh, it blew up on, like, Musical.ly, I think. Or is it TikTok? It, it was yeah. Musical.ly and then TikTok, I yeah, think. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it, right? But right. Not, so, not even right away. He said it just kept going. He just kept fucking putting Now, there's a perfect story. So, again, you know, he's out there. He buys a beat for $30, makes a song. It blows up on Musical.ly, then TikTok. And it becomes the number one song in the world for weeks and weeks. Breaks and weeks. records. Breaks fucking Every records. Every record. That did not happen 20 years ago. Not even close. It was impossible. There's no platform to do that. You know? Yeah. I mean, Justin Bieber, you say what you want, but man, YouTube. I love Justin He got Bieber, discovered. Man. He's amazing. He's great. His records are always killer. You know? I mean, and it's like blew up via YouTube. You know, so the point is, there's opportunity in the modern music business. There's opportunity that never was there, and it's ripe for the taking. All you got to do is have a plan, a hustle, and some talent. Do Do you think it gets shit on because back in the day there wasn't as much opportunity? What do you mean? What like what parents? Like coming from back back in that era of, of thinking about the music industry. Again, I think like, pa parents are a unique breed. I know a lot of parents now. You know, I'm, I'm I'm almost forty, so I got a lot of friends. They they are parents. What you know is about parents is. You know, they want the best for their children and they want, and that usually comes down to safety. Mm -hmm. And they like, they, like certain things are safe, like going to college and getting a job at the, you know, a white collar job, that's safe. You know, becoming a music producer, it's not, not as safe. So I, I am sympathetic to their concerns about these things, but that's why, again, part of your plan is how do I you know, incorporate the message to my parents that they're, this is going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and you got to be willing to do it anyways, if they don't think it's okay. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, there's just pl certainly plenty of artists who, uh, you know, probably overcame parents who rejected them and rejected their art. Is it? Is there a certain like habit you have? Because I mean, dude, you're like a machine who's moving and been hustling for a while. Like that helps you with like success. You think like a certain daily ritual, or like a mindset thing. Well, I start off every morning. I take six shots of tequila, and I do. And I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Is there tequila here, buddy? Okay, never I mind. think there might be some right, tequila. Later. Here, <laughs> There's some some Tito's. Uh, I mean, I think my only ritual is I keep very organized. I really try to keep organized. Uh, I've got a great assistant who like helps me with all this chaos of my my, my professional professional life, and uh, that's really helpful. I mean, and I and I just try to plan a lot, man. I mean, it, it takes a lot of planning. And of course, the thing I keep on forgetting to say is it also takes an incredible team because I have the most fucking amazing team of people. You know, my name might be on the building, but still the team is really what makes up that brand. And I got mm -hmm. incredible people. They're hardworking, they're passionate, they're smart, and they, they make the, uh, the, the days go really fast and easy because they're just so damn good. Since our last talk, did you uh, have any revelations on finding those people? Uh, it's the same story as last time, which is it's hard <laughs> no. and you got to put the effort into finding the good people. We're having a job fair. We have 300 we, people saying they're showing up. We literally randomly were like, let's try a job fair. Just people show. Cause then that way we get to read them in person a bit, you know, yeah. see if I mean, they're a good it, fit. I mean, just the one thing I'd say for any job is you got to test them. That, mm -hmm. That's been one of the most revolutionary aspects of our hiring. You know, you, you only get hired after you're given a test and that test usually represents exactly what they would be doing. Mm -hmm. So you can really see whether, you know, and, and of course on their resume, they say, oh, I do this, this, and this, this. And that looks great. Oh, go oh, great. You do this. Perfect. Then of course you hire them and you find out, yeah, they do that, but really shitty. 
And they, they said they knew this program and they don't really know that program. They know of the program. But they certainly don't at least know how to put it on a resume. Uh, so the tests really help us. You know, we, you know, actually we hired a, we're hiring a marketing person. I personally wrote the test for that and it's not easy. There's a, I mean, they have to basically create a multifaceted marketing campaign. You should let me talk to him. I'll, I'll, I'm I'll... sure you'd be the best, man. <laughs> I'm hiring, by the way. So. Um, no, that's that testing. We, we do that all the time. Like yeah. That's one of the biggest things. Also just, we, we try to, if we're doing people like long distance, try to fly them into like, you know, do it in person. That's too. what Dimitri's doing. Dimitri, yeah. we just met Dimitri. Yeah. Good. Found out he's a fucking savage party animal. Not just <laughs> sometimes that's important. Uh, <laughs> we kind of joke about that. Like sometimes the best people have some like I don't want to call it like a sin a little bit, but they're not like perfectly straight edge. I think the thing you're getting at is, the, is a, your your team has to have a certain culture. The culture has to vibe too. Mm-hmm. You could have someone who's extremely qualified, but if they're gonna walk in and, and just butt heads with everyone in the office every day, that's not a good candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely a big thing. How do you weed those people out? Again, it's the test. It's meeting people. And it's just, you know, you have, you know, my, my interviews are done with a bunch of different people from the company. So you have a several interviews? Well, yeah, but the first one's a Google Hangout. So they don't even get in the office until they pass that culture test. The culture test has to be, you know, immediately passed. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, my, my HR people, whoever's hiring in that department goes, hey, this, like, we try to talk to this person and we can't even get a good conversation happening. Obviously, that's not going to be a good candidate. How quickly you know? uh, do you read somebody in person? No, they're not going to be right. Pretty quick. You know that. I mean, you, you, we, we can read I'm people just, I'm, I'm just I'm just asking you so people I, I mean, I, let's be honest. You can read someone. If they, I mean, you can read whether or not they're going to be a good fit pretty soon. I probably know within, within I'm going to say five minutes, but it's really within like two. I'd yeah. say two is a good time. Two, in two minutes. minutes. I'm like, all right, this person, I, I, I can get the vibe of whether this will be a good culture fit. Yeah. You know, it takes longer to find out if they're a good professional fit, but it's got to be both. Yeah. You know, again, if I'm hiring a marketing person, if they kill this test and write this incredible campaign and all this, you know, and they, they do this amazing Instagram campaign and email blast and all this stuff and then choose a bunch of influencers and all this crazy stuff that's on the test. They pass out with flying colors and then they can't like interact socially with people around the, you know, the, 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 the kitchen in the office, like they're going to feel really uncomfortable. That uncomfortable vibe spreads throughout the office, like a virus, I completely you agree. know, it spreads fast. And that, and we've had situations like that. We've had people who just didn't fit in and that negativity and that uncomfortableness spreads and it ruins everything. Even like uh, for us, like the, the podcast is cool because we meet so many people, but like, you know, it's not about how big we've had big people come in, but we don't necessarily want to work with them afterwards because if we don't vibe with them, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, even on like a, even if we're not, they're not working for us, we're just partnering up on stuff. We're just like after the podcast, we're like, all right, it's done. But some people, even if they're tiny, mm-hmm. but they're fucking awesome and they're sure. showing love and, and it feels good. We're like, all right, let's keep fucking with that person. Yeah, you know for saying? sure. Yeah. Also, I think the, uh, the human brain has been evolving for millions of years mm-hmm. and that quick instinct of like fear like flight or fight is yeah. this person right for me i, I mean your you're brain right. has learned how to fucking do that how to sense danger how to sense fear how to sense if somebody's a right fit for you yeah like back in the caveman days you know so i that's why i think it is that's i think you're right i yeah. think i think we've adapted to you know make decisions on other people it's like because you're right because i mean it, it is fight or flight it's like like do i like this person are they gonna try to eat me or you know like and i'm making kind of a joke about it but it's the truth it's like you know you have to make split decisions on whether this person is is gonna be yay or nay um how uh how do you know when you need some help whether it be an employee a manager whatever in the music industry what point do you 
do you know? We're getting a cymatics consulting session. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. What, that's what like, all this podcast is. Secretly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> cymatics just starts going up. We're like, damn, yeah. what happened? We gotta- Make sure to send a bill to the cymatics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because it becomes quite apparent. For me, it was like, okay, I can't handle this. I need, like, like, like business is lacking because we don't have enough boots on the ground to handle these problems, handle these situations, manage these people. You know, things are lacking. I mean, you know, one of the primary things with that is our code team is in Grenoble, France, and and we didn't have a in-house LA liaison whose whole job was to be the conduit between the two offices. It was always me, or it was the graphics department, or the marketing department, and the sales department. It was just all this clusterfuck. And very clearly became apparent, like, we need one point man whose literally job is to be you know, the, the, the conduit between these two offices and man, like as soon as we hired that person and he got comfortable role, just easy. Like, so is that like, person flying out there on a regular basis? Yeah. Uh, why'd you decide to do your office in France? For well, because Fabrice, my partner is from France and there's a, a lot of technical schools in Grenoble and uh, there was a lot of great talent to hire. And uh, at the time it was more affordable. Um, and, uh, and he was there half the year anyway. So it just made sense. Yeah, I mean, do you fun- think, God. Oh, I was just gonna say, fuck hiring developers and especially like hiring developers Cali. is very difficult. Especially and in San that, Francisco. Now, or now the hiring process for that office is ridiculous because now, now luckily we've had a decent name for ourselves, and you know we get really top level talent who who interviews for to be a developer at our, our company. Is the time zone difference? Yeah, the, uh, it, I mean it, it was as part of the issue, but now we've got like I don't really have to worry about it anymore because now I get reports from him and just deal with him, and That's he's awesome, on my time yeah. zone. So That's interesting. It's uh, it's a lot better. What does that person do on a day to day basis? I mean, a lot. He's one of the busiest people at the office. He's just like back and forth. Just back and forth, going over documents and just, just, you know, working on schedules and, 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 and beta teams. It just, there's a ton, man. I mean, being a conduit between the, the development office and the sales marketing and and business office is pretty crazy job. So I I, I don't interview him. Yeah. So early, early meetings while they're, you know, so when they're leaving the office, he's, you know, has an early meeting with them. So he's up super early. They're, they're staying a little late on, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah. And, and by the way, guys, the reason we're asking questions, Steve's a smart motherfucker and it's, and it's late's like coupled, you know, a couple of years down the road. Like I told you the first time I met you, I I see you guys trampling us very soon. The way you guys are rolling, man. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're hoping for. Just keep grinding and keep growing. Hopefully we keep doing fun stuff together. Maybe I should be coming to the job fair. Job fair. Hey, we're hiring by the way. I was about to say, (laughs) if if anything, I should be working for you guys, man. You guys are killing it. No, we just got to work together. Where do you, uh, where do you see the the, the future of where you're going with all this? Cause you're, you know, building a sick empire, you know, I think it's, uh, awesome. My future is, 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 is always been the same. I just want to keep on building products for, for creatives, man. And, and it sounds corny, but why, the reason why I love what I do so much is because of stuff like how you guys did that job fair. You know, we've done trade shows and we've done our own kind of fairs and I get to see the people who use our products. And, and they're so fucking happy. Just like the people who met you guys, <sighs> they're happy. That. They're happy because you're delivering them uh, a product that allows them to create art, which makes them happy. And then in a sense, you're kind of delivering them a bit of happiness. And that's kind of what we're in the game of. We're in the game of making products that allow people to just, you know, do their art and and create something that makes them happy. So we're delivering a bit of happiness. It's just an amazing, rewarding feeling to do that. So to answer your question, I just want to keep doing that with new ideas. Like anything I can do to make more products that people go, fuck yeah, this is going to help me make a fucking banger track and that banger track I'm going to play for all my homies I'm going to push it on b-board I'm just going to do all this cool stuff with it and I'm happy as fuck boom I've won right there 
Yeah. My team is one. It's it's just it's it's all like it's so cool for the live event stuff because for me and Drew, I mean, we just see likes, comments, emails, right? Yeah. But they're not. It doesn't feel as human as like when you go, hey, let's all hang out. We do a big event, and then you meet the people and hear from you. Like, holy shit! Like the scale is crazy. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's and, the greatest feeling because it reminds you what you're doing is important to people, and that's you know it it, it validates the hard work. I mean, you know, it, it validates the, the troubles that you sometimes have to endure. And uh, yeah, I love that kind of stuff. It's the only reason I go to Nam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard it's it's huge, right? How many people yeah. go to that? Too many. It's a lot. No, it's it's a lot. It's just chaotic. On the business side, it's it sucks. But the is best part it? is, 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 it, is it the best part is to? meeting people. Um, whole other topic. <laughs> whole other podcast. Did y'all do on, a, on a whether Nam is worth it? What's that? You yeah, we've do been it. doing booze for twelve years. I think we should do it. Do you think we should year. do something at our? Events? No, I don't think you should do it. Really? No. Because you've already won. You beat them. <laughs> Dude, the event last night—that's your fucking nam. Oh, that's true. I didn't. You think don't need that. a nam. Do you you have we, cymatics. Do you think we should get other brands involved in our events? Yes. Because we're thinking about starting to do that. That, that would be a good idea. A sweet thing, you know. I mean, uh, cymatics can be its own trade show, but it's better because you're more focused on building relationships and collaborations and just building a community of creators. And the that, music itself too. Yeah. Our event is more focused around like- You can't do that at NAM. They're gonna, the NAM police, that's why I call them the NAM police the NAM come police. and they, they tell you to turn down. <laughs> and then you turn down and they walk away and I'm like, all right, guys, turn it up. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> they're coming back, turn it down It's like again. when you're smoking a blunt outside a club. They're like, hey, yes. you can't smoke here. All right, all right guys, yeah, we'll put it away. Yeah, exactly. Pull back out. <laughs> Dude, we're fighting the venues to let us have fun and let all the producers have fun. You know, mm. it's like us versus the venues and like- yeah, it's funny. Uh, what are we at on time, Jordan? We're looking saucy. Oh, sweet. This is coming out awesome, man. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm excited to keep coming back out here, man. Yeah, you guys should, man. We're doing you it like out here. Like I times. said, I'm going to get you know who out next time. I'm going to bring his ass here. Dude, you do that, Steve, and, and I'm getting slate digital oh, tattoo I, right here. Let me here. see if he wrote back. <laughs> ah, he did write back. Uh-oh. Just, just so you see, I ain't bullshit. I don't want to get this on camera, but... Get his number on Mike there. You get blown up. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Dean wrote back, and, he, and unfortunately his answer was, not sure, uh, probably the plates or the Brocosti, which is the M7 model in Verb Suites. Cool. That's that's still crazy, though. We got a we got an answer for Mike Dean on the podcast on on uh, what do you use on Travis Scott? On, Dude, you on are, a best reverb you, for Travis Scott sound. You are are connected motherfucker. Do you want to talk a little bit about like? How, like, let's say somebody who's not as connected in the scene, you know, I mean, I think you have a lot to offer, but like, what if somebody's like kind of wants to go yeah, to always LA? have something to offer? Yeah, exactly. So, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone has something to offer because you just got to, again, people come to other people because there's a value exchange. Mm -hmm. You know, they're giving me value. Like you guys give me so much value because you guys inspire the fuck out of me. You know, like there's so much value I get from hanging around you guys, seeing you guys hustle, seeing, you know, all the things you do, watching your Instagram and how you hustle on the sample packs and just the, 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 it's just so fucking cool. Like there's such great value. And also you guys are great dudes. I should also say that too. It's not just because of the Cymatics brand you're building, but you're also good people. So that's all that, that's your value package of what you give me. And, you know, I'd like to try to think I try to give you some, some value back. Oh, if you look sure, at all your other man. relationships, that's what it is. I mean, mm -hmm. whether it's your girlfriend, your parents, there's a value exchange there. So, I mean, to me, you know, building relationships is understanding your value 
and what you can offer someone else and trying to figure out what their value is and, and bonding on that. And, uh, and I think that's, that's how things work. As soon as you go, as soon as it's a one-sided thing where you're trying to absorb someone else's value and you're not willing to, to, to push them to your own, that's when you just don't have a bond there. People see that. They see it instantly, man. There's so yeah. many people that we've helped out with stuff randomly and we just yeah. see how they're like, oh, I don't want to quite yeah. give you the credit. And I, and I see it, I see it too. Back. We, 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 if somebody doesn't feel like they're reciprocating, we're just, we're done. We don't yeah. have time because there's people we do fuck with. You might as well focus your energy on those people. You yeah, know? exactly. And, and I get it too. I mean, there's some major people hey you know wait is this a really a relationship or are you just trying to get free gear out of me you know and i see that and i was like all right well this isn't this is nothing here and i'm not getting anything bad from you you know i'm not just some you know major artist free gear steve the second the second you send us one of those sixty thousand dollar ravens we're we're cutting it off <laughs> <laughs> that's not a whole I need, focus i need one of those <laughs> they're fun man yeah no dude, that's uh, crazy could you maybe you like fl Oh no, I use Ableton. Able, oh, dude, yeah, Ableton smokes on Ableton. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. it smokes. You got the, the MIDI pads. It's dude. You, can play, you can awesome. play the thing like an instrument. Yeah. Well, can you real quick because I think a lot of people hear the word value, and for us, we kind of understand it. But could you give me maybe some examples of like a, a producer? Let's say heard that. Like, can you give me some examples? Maybe some examples from of your what career, value of is. Like, what are you defining as value? I mean, there's, the, there's like different specific. levels to it. As just a human being, the value is being kind, being good, understanding, listening, offering insight. That's value right there. You don't need anything. That's free, man. That's free. Mm -hmm. You know, just being a good person, being be kind, man. It's free. You know, the second step is like, okay, hey, you know, I'm listening to your track and let's try, you want to collaborate with them. Hey, I got something to offer. For me, I got some drum samples. Maybe you can use some of them, mix them in. You know, I'll, I'll, let me be your personal splice and make some shit for you. Or, hey, you know, that's a great track. I, I, I got a vocalist. Let me set you guys up. Let me like facilitate relationships for you. Show that value that way. I mean, there's so many opportunities. Just you have to think, you know, what can I do? What, what does this person need? Where's the value I can offer? You know, and, uh, and I think that that's, it just works. And I look at some of the relationships that, I, that I've seen, like the professional relationships, like major artists and their managers even. And that's kind of how it works. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, like you said, it's a reciprocation of, of value. And, mm -hmm. and, and it could really be anything depending on what you're trying to do with this person. That's why I love showing people like even how Cymax works sometimes, you know, see if something applies, like teaching them how we're doing text or some of the email stuff or some of the crazy like social campaigns you see, you know. Just because yeah. I know that like a lot of people are sometimes stingy because I think there's an insecurity of like, oh shit, if somebody else. They are. And, and you are you very know? giving about that stuff. And it's been extremely helpful. And, and Even on the last episode, Anna uh, Domini was like, it was like, oh, you sure you want to give away a modern producer's gift card? I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck. If, yeah. if you somebody goes and checks out your sample packs. Yeah. We, 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 I think a lot of that sometimes when they get bothered, they're worried that this one piece of information is the key to their success. And I'm thinking in my head like, there's no one piece of information that's you're absolutely us. right now yeah. back in the day when there was like these professional mixers and the industry was really elitist and everyone would be like how does mixer x get that their drums to sound so big or how they get their vocals it was super secretive mm -hmm. it was like weirdly secretive that's what we're trying to break yeah it was like weirdly secretive but it's a lot less now because i think people some of the people are just starting to understand exactly what you said that you know if someone finds out for instance mike is a perfect example mike don't care he 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 looked up what reverb he used in travis scott he knows that if we all find out the exact reverb that was used in travis scott he's still going to be mike dean and travis <laughs> you know? scott is still going to be travis yeah, scott yeah he's got nothing to worry about he's sharing the wealth <laughs> and he's great like that he's taught me a lot man i've learned a lot from mike and the guy's such a legend and he's fun to hang out with you know, people trying to hide like a plugin, like a secret plugin or something. Yeah. Stupid when somebody shit, yeah. does that, and I see that, I see that a lot with plugins and stuff. I instantly don't want to fuck with them because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I know how this guy is before I even meet them. It's like your mindset's not there yet. You know, like, okay, this person's still like, you know, honestly, like, 
I mean, even in my head, like back in the day, I didn't think about certain things like value or any of that, to be mm. honest. It's something I had to learn along the ways. But once you do it, you start to recognize in other people too. Sure. So, um, you want to go into bonus questions and giveaway? And yeah, let's go into all the socks. What did we try to give away last time? I don't know. Why don't we give away a mic? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We can do a mic. We don't do Do you want to do? We don't have to do gift cards. We should do a mic and one of the $60,000 Ravens. <laughs> let's, how about a mic and an all access pass? Yeah, let's do that. Now, one, let me tell you, for, for, for modern producers, the all access pass is going to be a good year. Sweet. Cool. Good year. Yeah. Remember, you get everything for, for the and year. We'll, and we'll do $500 time ass gift cards. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So that's cool. seven, so winners, seven winners. Okay. All right. Sweet. I guess um, uh, you guys know what to do. Just comment your favorite moment of this episode. Uh, and obviously give us a timestamp that helps us. And uh, if you're We're wondering, winners soon, winners are coming soon. We're going to be doing hella winners. So if you guys are watching, entering all the things, don't think we're forgetting about you. We like to announce them in big bulk. So that way, as people are going through the episodes, they can enter and uh, plug. What should people go check out? Well, I'd like you to check out slatedigital.com. And we have the all access pass, which is over $5,000 worth of incredible production software. And uh, it's really, really affordable. It's $14.99 a month. You get everything. It also comes with Slate Academy, where you can learn from producers like Just Blaze on how to make a hip hop track. You learn from, you know, Seven. You learn from Cameron Cardi, from Chris Lordalgy, all kinds of styles. You get to download the sessions, download all the plugins. You get sample packs. You get presets. So basically, it's just a one-stop shop for any music and producer. And I use it in every project and, at this and, point. And yeah, I, I, I was going to say, Reed you know, uses it in every project. Reed Stefan. Most people I know at this point use that shit. And almost I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you guys make it sound good and and the cool thing is this when you, when you uh, are a member to the all access pass everything we come out with you just get for free mm-hmm. instantly as long as you pay the membership 14.99 a month you just keep getting everything it's worth it so man. i mean yeah. it was it's definitely a, a business model i really was was strong about because we used to charge 200 300 per plug-in and you know it made it hard for people to use our stuff now everyone can use it and it's again i'm delivering that little piece of happiness so it makes us really, that's yeah, really awesome. stoked on think, it so that's slate digital yeah think about it like netflix of like music like software yeah. plugins you know you get all this shit and, and i would say like if you guys are watching this and like you know i, I know a lot of people get caught in using the same stuff and not taking the time to actually upgrade their stuff download this and at least try it you know try it for a month or two stop using the fl stock reverb it's not as good as you guys think it is i promise definitely you gotta check out anna our synth is just blazing man that synth is so cool we just came out the new analog edition so it's got a whole bunch of old school synth wave vibes it can do everything that that synth alone is worth the price of admission so yeah exactly awesome yeah so go check that out and uh yeah guys we're gonna hop into and ask some saucy questions in the audio only round spotify spotify soundcloud apple podcast app the whole nine stitcher so we're gonna if anybody listens on spotify to be honest i haven't ever checked there's people that listen are they yeah sweet it's more like people's go-to you know what i'm saying if their go-to is soundcloud it's easy to save all the episodes but anyways we're gonna switch over to that so peace out what's uh what's some important stuff to to do when you're going into a studio session with somebody new for the first time some important stuff when you're going to the studio with some of the first time uh number one research like if you're going to go in and collaborate with someone and, and you, you know who this person is, you better like know their vibe, like understand, like listen to their music, listen to their tunes. Like what's the purpose? Like, you know, like go in having some knowledge because again, what, what happens when you go in there and, and you, Hey, yo, I, I, by the way, before this, I'd listen to one of your tracks and blah, blah, blah. Boom. Now you're showing value again. You're, you're showing that you're taking this thing seriously and that's value. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, doing, doing the research and knowing what you're getting into and, 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 and helping to facilitate this relationship and speed along that value faster is really important. Um, 
being patient, you know, with new people, you know, don't jump on anyone. You know, you're going to studio session, you get two creatives, be patient, be understanding and, uh, and be laid back, you know, uh, be, be passionate about what your idea is, but, but don't be too jumpy. Don't be too pushy. Don't, don't be negative. Like if you don't like something they, they offer, uh, nothing good is going to come if you're like, no, no, that fucking sucks. You know, try to expand upon it. Try to explain yourself, explain your reasoning behind it. Like show that you like that you're not just trying to shit on them. That maybe that you have, you know, serious ideas about where you think you should go and, and how can you change that to work together with them. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's a big psychology play working with someone. Do awesome. You, uh, what about, go ahead. Oh, uh, so do you have a suggestion maybe for bedroom producers, what they can do for sound treatment? Let's say they don't have a lot of money. Do you have suggestions you might have for like treating your room? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, the good news is in about... Five, five or six months, I got a product coming out that's going to solve all that. But until then, uh, until then, uh, kind of want to hear about, about that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't just tease us. What, what, well, I had to can, do one can, teaser. I'm known, we, yeah, you know, I'm hear known, about it after. I'm known least. for teasing, man. I'm known for teasing. But Steve's like, I, my legal I, team, my legal team can't let me. Yeah, I'm probably gonna get in trouble just for saying that. I really am. But uh, <laughs> but I will say this, uh, and, and nothing I'm nothing we're about to come out with is going to overcome the fact that you should absolutely be serious about making yourself a monitoring system and a monitoring environment that is truthful and real. Uh, I would recommend two things about that. Uh, number one, study up on room acoustics, you know, bass traps, where to put bass traps, where, what's the point of them, what ones to get. You know, there's a lot of material online about them and uh, take it seriously. Like if you think you're gonna be, you know, crafting hits by throwing a studio somewhere in an untreated room on shitty speakers, think again, that ain't how the hits are being made. You know, Mike Dean's studio is sick, all right? <laughs> you know, and even when, before he had his main studio in his house, he had another studio, and that was sick too. And he treated it, and he takes it seriously. Like all the top guys who make the best sound and stuff, they take their rooms seriously. They take their speakers seriously. You know, before you start putting any kind of money into anything, your room and your speakers has to be number one on the list. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, research acoustics, you need some good bass trap. And, you know, if you clap at your at your mix position, you hear that like wonky, hollow, reflective sound. That's not good. You know, if, if you're trying to play an 808 and unless you distort the shit out of it, you can't even hear it because your little shitty speakers can't even go that low. That ain't good. You know, because guess what? If you're trying to get this thing to be a club track, they're going to hear the low end of that 808. And if mm -hmm. it's too loud or screwed up, it's going to screw your whole track up. So uh, I guess, I guess the, the, the name of the game here is take it seriously. Do the research and spend the most money on that and wait six months and other things will happen too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, one, we'll maybe end it on this. What One mixing tip that every producer should know to instantly get their mix better. Man, that's a loaded question. That's a good question. One mixing tip to instantly if you had to if you had to choose kind of one thing. All right, I I got this one. It's gonna sound a little bit, you know, like I'm just trying to be that guy, but I'm serious about it. The one mixing tip I think is to know how to use reference tracks properly. You know, know how to use a reference. Like if you're sitting there mixing and you're trying to like, you know, build your low end or something like that and figure out how where your vocal sits, throw on a track that you think is just the Banging this track. That sounds amazing. Listen to it. Listen to where the lows are. Listen to what kind of reverb is. How, how loud is the reverb? You know, if there's a vocal on it, uh, is it present? Is it airy? It's got lots of mids. 
What's he doing with it? Is it, is it? is it like distorted? Is it clean? You know, the rhythm tracks, what are they doing? Where are they? Where are they pan? Like study it up. I mean, you have this great reference, like this education all in a song. I mean, great reference tracks are like the best pieces of mixed education you can get. And and doesn't mean you have to copy them, but understand them. Like, hey, like this track is this really dirty vibe. Okay, sit there and listen to it and think what makes it dirty? You know, like what what's making this thing sound dirty? Is it like the distortion on the 88? Is it overall distortion? Is it clipping? Is it loud? Is it soft? Like what are the elements doing? Like how, like, how does this mix make me feel? Okay, I've just established it makes me feel this way. Now, why? And using reference tracks as your education. I think that's one of the best things I've ever done. Like when I was even making drum samples, you know, I was like, okay, well, how, how do I make a drum sample? What's the point? Like, what am I doing? I'd listen to like a bunch of great drums on records. And I go, okay, yeah, that's snare. The snares are sizzling out of it. And it's got this big stereo room sound that makes it just sound really powerful. And the decay cuts off on the reverb really quick, which makes it sound like big. And, you know, I would just study up. So I think one of the greatest mix tips is just use references as as good influence as to where you should be and what you should be doing and try to replicate them in your own way like don't copy but like replicate and say okay i get what this is doing let me try to inter you know inter you know twine some of those techniques in my own mixes i spend like yeah. three to four hours a day studying music just doing that that's great man. reference all reference the best snares. that's it all day basically for you guys listening you can literally drag like download the song drag it into your doll and have it next to yeah. you like like uh, i got i got my that's called my ripped folder my rip songs folder it's got every good mix and every genre you know you name a genre i'll play the dope ass mix in that genre and i can tell you every element about it i study it like it's freaking you know scripture Same. i love Same that here. that's a that's a fire way to end the episode that's sweet boom steven slate everybody thank you guys man that been a pleasure awesome